Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with the co-founder and CEO of Seafair, a maritime recruitment platform that's raised $6.5 million in funding. And typically, I introduce the guest here by first name and last name. But in this case, I'm not going to even try and insult you. So could you go ahead and pronounce your first name and last name for us? Sure. I am Agapitos Diakogiannis, and I'm the co-founder of Seafair. Amazing. And could you share a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Sure. So I was born and raised in Greece. I worked a bit for startups in Europe. Then I worked in consulting at BCG, came closer to the maritime space, moved to the U.S. for an MBA at Columbia, and then started working in VC. While I was in VC, I was really amazed by B2B marketplaces. So that's the point I decided to launch Seafer, which is a B2B labor marketplace helping shipping companies hire seafarers from all over the world. Nice. And to zoom in on a bit more about your background, I believe I read you work for Rocket Internet. Is that correct? Yes, 100%. What was that experience like? And, and what years were you at Rocket Internet? I was in 2015 to 2016. It's this usual super fast-paced environment. Rocket Internet startups usually nail execution. I remember I was working for Food Panda, which is something like GrabHub or DoorDash, but for emerging countries. And we would be making decisions such as, let's go and launch Indonesia in the weekend, or let's shut down Vietnam today because it's not doing really well. So working at Rocket Internet comes with all these, all this operational excellence and uh, like love for fast execution. And they're pretty ruthless, right? Or at least that's the perception that I have, (laughs) um, or that I think a lot of founders in Silicon Valley and San Francisco have of Rocket Internet is... It was the three, is it the Samira brothers? Is that their name? Yes, yes. They are ruthless. Absolutely right. There are these rumors that people would, essentially, they're working on a very tough problem and they don't know how to solve it. So they come up with a recruitment strategy. Let's go and recruit some product managers or engineers and let's just give them the problem as a case study. And then they would go ahead. These are all rumors again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, presumably, they would go and interview the people and they would just choose the best solution and then they would close the vacancy. So, yes, we did know that this was a ruthless strategy. Nice. That's yeah. probably a, an interesting place to uh, to learn how to build and scale and take a startup to market. Oh, I loved it. You know, it was the early stages of my career and they would send me to India or Hong Kong doing business with so many food vendors in the early stages of internet in India. And it was super fast-paced, working with so many super smart people. I absolutely loved it. Nice. That's amazing. And two quick questions just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. Is there a founder CEO that you look up to the most right now? There's many. Ryan Peterson of Flexport would definitely be one of uh, these people. He's extremely visionary, and he also has this this ability to communicate his thoughts very clearly, both internally and externally. And I absolutely love what he's built with Flexport. So he would be my role model, I'd say. 
Nice. He was on, um, do you ever listen to the All In podcast? Yes, but I haven't uh, listened to his version of the podcast. Oh, it was good. They called him the, um, how'd they word it? The guesty bestie. Uh, and he was on and he was just <laughs> <laughs> talking about everything that's going on. And that was my first introduction to him. And you're really hearing him speak and he's really good. Okay, great. They've also invested in Seifer. Uh, they have the small fund now and we're glad to have them in our cup table. Nice. That's amazing. And what about books? Is there a, you know, a single book that you can think of that really had the greatest impact on you as a founder? So many of them, but uh, probably the hard thing about hard things is the most honest book I've probably read. And one that really inspires you and kind of prepares you for this journey. Because if someone as successful as Horowitz has actually gone through stuff like this, and they kind of write about the ups and downs, it really helps you in these weird moments where you're feeling low to continue pushing. So yes, that would probably be the book. And then coming from Rocket Internet, I'm, I'm guessing you identify as a wartime CEO? <laughs> Most probably, yes. You know, people adjust. So sometimes we, we need to adjust and sometimes, yes, we are wartime. I become a wartime CEO. Nice. I love it. And now let's talk about what you're building there at Seafair. So what's the origin story behind the company? And then what's the high level overview of what you guys do? Yes. So when I was in consulting, we started working with uh, maritime companies. I'm Greek, and this is the only real industry that we dominate as a country, the maritime space. So we got this weird project where one of our clients was asking us, what kind of seafarers do I need to recruit? So we dig a bit deeper into the problem, and we find it, we found it super interesting. In the global maritime space, you actually have the ability to recruit whomever you want. Because the vessels are moving globally, so you don't really need to go with one nationality or one specific location. You could hire one day people from Indonesia, next day people from Ukraine, and it's a very complex and tough problem to solve. While we started working with that client a few years back, we actually saw that the systems and the software that they were using to manage their seafarers, something like an HR tool for vessels, was not really at the level it had to be. You had to manage different employees, you had to manage their payroll, you had to manage their documentation, and you also had to prove to your clients, companies like Shell, Total, and Exxon, that you're staying compliant with all the global maritime regulations. So at that point, we started thinking that this problem is actually very interesting, and we don't love the solutions that we see in the market. I didn't start the startup at that point of time. I came to the US and I started working in venture capital. And only after investing in several B2B labor marketplaces, I understood how big of an opportunity there was in the B2B labor space in the maritime industry. There are approximately 2 million seafarers globally, and they earn approximately $70 billion per year. And these people would go and recruit through local paper-based manning agencies. That's how they call them. Mm -hmm. We really saw this opportunity of building a global marketplace that would vet these candidates properly and would also help connect them to all the global shipping companies in the world. And that's what Seafair is all about. We help seafarers from all over the world find the best opportunities at sea. And we're mostly using the, the typical trick or the typical hack that all the B2B marketplaces use, which is that we build software 
to make the transaction between the shipping company and the seafarers easier. On the shipping company side, we help the employer generate contracts, manage invoices, manage all the crew competence elements that they have to do, evaluations, trainings, etc. And on the seafarer side, we give them a seafarer application where they can consolidate all the information they need to have when they are on board the ship or when they complete the contract and go back home. Got it. Interesting. And I think what I'd read online or in a press release, you know, you were focused on bringing transparency to the market. Can you just explain a bit more about like the lack of transparency and what the status quo really looks like? Oh, that's fascinating. So when you work at the shipping company and you need to hire a seafarer, it's as if you're trying to hire a pilot on an airplane. You need people who are extremely qualified and have a specific set of certifications and experience to be able to work on board. Now, the crazy thing is that you have a vessel and there is this candidate from the Philippines or Indonesia or Ukraine who claim that they have actually worked for several years and they have taken a specific set of trainings. But you don't have a mechanism to validate that what they're saying is right. So we've seen this happening a lot in the industry where people would go and kind of tweak their CVs to make them more attractive to the employers. And the employers would go and run all these weird processes of background checks, of going online to find references, doing whatever they can in scrappy ways to just validate that the certificates and the sea services, the experience that the seafarers claim they have, are actually right. And this is the way we try to help the shipping companies and the industry. We're trying to prove that seafarers have actually gone when they where they claim they've been, and we verify their certificates to make sure that they are compliant with all the requirements that the shipping company has. Got it. Makes sense. Wow, that's interesting. Another question for you, and you know, this is the challenge with any marketplace business, is you have the chicken and the egg problem. So how have you approached that problem that all marketplaces tend to face? In the beginning, we got this weird signal where we launched our first ads, and we started acquiring good quality seafarers from different countries. We were able to launch some landing pages, and we started attracting seafarers with less than a, than a cent of customer acquisition cost. These people were applying a lot to our landing pages, to our fake vacancies in the beginning. This was a small experiment that we did to try to understand whether we should invest more on the supply side, the seafarers, or the demand side, the shipping companies. After that, it seemed that it was easier to go and get the seafarers. We managed within two years to create a database of 250,000 seafarers. That's more than 10% of the global market. So essentially, the tough point was to bring in the shipping companies into the marketplace. And that's the main reason we understood that we are a demand-constrained marketplace, demand being the shipping companies. And we started building more and more technology and software for this side of the marketplace. Wow, that's a dream. Half a cent for, uh, for leads? <laughs> yes, yes. It sounds like a dream. But as we started executing more and more, we understood that getting the leads is probably the easier part. But convincing those leads to get that job is a difficult thing. You need to make sure always that the type of supply that you've aggregated to the marketplace is the one that your demand, your specific demand is looking for. 
So at that point, it became a bit more tricky because there's also a very high salary discrepancy in the market. There may be shipping companies that may be paying a 3 5 or 7% premium to hire the best seafarers in the market. So while we were going out to acquire shipping companies, we had to find those shipping companies that were actually interested in the supply that we had already brought in. So yes, we were lucky in having a very low customer acquisition cost on the supply, but mm-hmm. things were actually a bit more tricky when we started executing and bringing the demand. Got it. That makes sense. And on the demand side, does that segment tend to be you know open to new technology and experimenting with new technology, or are they very stuck in their ways? Totally stuck in their ways. It's a very traditional industry where people are usually promoted after many years of experience. So our typical user would be usually a captain in their late 50s, perhaps early 60s, who have been using a set of technologies or vendors for many, many years. So even though we started by going and telling the market that we're a young company and we're doing things differently, we quickly realized that we had to mask this So we would just go and talk to the customers by only addressing their problems. We would not say that we're a young company. We would not brand ourselves as the innovators or the disruptors. We just try to focus on what is the biggest pain point you have and why we are the best fit company to solve this. And that was the point where we started having higher quality interactions with uh, with the demand side. They did not really want to work with the innovators. They did not want to disrupt what they thought was going well. They only wanted to work with people who could solve their biggest pain points. Rational users, after all. That makes sense. And I think that's a common dilemma or a common challenge a lot of founders face, right? They're going to market and they want to talk about innovation and disruption. And they forget that on the other end of that, people don't like disruption. You know, that disruption means change. Change is scary. And people don't like that. So did you come to that conclusion very quickly? Or did you come to that conclusion you know, on day one? Or like, did it take you some time to have that realization that you really just had to focus on the problem and not position yourself as the disruptor? Yeah, you know, it's also tough for our ego. Because as an early stage startup, we need to sell to to multiple actors. Yes, we do need to sell to the shipping companies, but we also have to sell a vision to the people who would join us, our early employees. So we had to have some type of branding that would present Seafair as a disruptor because this was the way to attract great talent. And then we would have to completely change the story to go back to the shipping companies and tell them, you know what, forget about it. No disruption at all. We're just solving very complex problems. So it was difficult to have these two sides of marketing and having to adjust our pitch to every single user uh, that we were going after. And what's that look like behind the scenes? Do you have you know, like two different messaging decks that you train you know, your sales and marketing team on um, and your, your team in general? Or how do you make sure that that story is consistently told for the different audiences? We went through different phases. At some point in the beginning, we just wanted to be the innovators. And then we quickly understood that we had to, to adjust. And then we went into this, which I don't recommend at all, trying to customize everything. So after that, we created too much marketing collateral or sales material that we could not maintain. And things in our startup were changing faster 
then we could essentially maintain our, our sales collateral. So in the beginning, everything was the same. Then it was super customized, but we could not uh, continue doing that. Mm-hmm. So we reached the point where we essentially decided that these are some of the key value probes that we need to convey in every single pitch. And then you have the ability as a specific marketing person working on ads or as a salesperson working in a pitch to go and customize and try to bring your sales magic. Got it. Makes sense. And what's the typical size shipping company that you're targeting? Like, what's the primary metric for shipping companies? Is it you know, number of ships in their fleets? Or how are they evaluated on size in general? And then which ones are you targeting here? There are shipping companies that have from one vessel to up to close to a 1,000, I'd say. The biggest one has 800 vessels, I would say. We're a better fit today for shipping companies that manage, let's say, 10 to 50 vessels which are small to medium size. And yes, the main metric to evaluate whether shipping company is a good fit for us is A, the size of their fleet, and B, the types of vessels that they manage. And how many seafarers are typically on each vessel? So the average vessel has 22 seafarers, and these people would have an average uh, contract duration of uh, five to eight months, depending on how highly ranked they are or not. Got it. And then is there an average salary amount or is that just spread across and really just depends on the role? Yeah, the minimum salary on board the vessel per month would be something close to 600 bucks. And salaries would go up to 20K per month in complex vessels and high ranks. And then what's that 20K position? Like, what is that role? They would probably be a chief engineer or a captain on a gas carrier. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yes. Are you interested? <laughs> yeah, 20K, be a captain of a ship. That sounds pretty cool. Sign me up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. Okay, switching gears here a bit, just in terms of adoption that you've seen on the demand side, are there any metrics and numbers that you can share? We currently work with close to 20 accounts that manage a fleet of five hundred, more than 500 vessels. And these shipping companies are either using our HR software or our recruitment services. So they hire seafarers from us. Got it. Makes sense. And then what are you doing to really rise above all of the noise that's out there in the marketplace today? I feel like there's just a lot of funding um, going into the maritime space or maritime tech space in general. How are you rising above all that noise? You know what, Brett? It was a very different story before me because everybody was living in this bubble and everybody was trying to grow super fast without caring about the burn, about burn multiples, about the sustainability of the business. At that point of time, a B2B marketplace would probably have a disadvantage because B2B marketplaces grow a bit slower and they cannot go viral like a B2C app could go. But I believe we're very lucky that essentially things have changed in the venture markets. Now investors have become much more rational, and they're not only looking for great startups, great technology, potential to build unicorns. Yes, all of this is great, and we should all be aiming for that. Mm -hmm. But at some point of time, we also need to build businesses that make sense. And to us, this is an advantage because uh, we are in a space which is antiquated. We can generate good quality net revenues and profits and lock in our clients if we solve the problem better than competitors can. So essentially, we can build a business that can generate profitability at some point of time. So 
that's the way that we've reacted to it. It was a bit of a weird place for us to be having to go after growth at all costs. Now we have to build things sustainably. We have to build good quality products and really address the problems that our users have. And this is why we're doing this. We're here to to have impact and help an industry change completely. And I'm happy we're going to be able to do this through a sustainable business. Nice. I love it. Last couple of questions for you. What excites you most about the work you get to do every day? The work I get to do is uh, very different. One day I'm working on sales and the other day I'm just focusing, doubling down on an operational problem we have. Next day, maybe product. I really love this fast-paced environment. And we're also working with a team that is located in five locations, the US, Germany, Greece, Philippines, and Ukraine. So the team is extremely diverse. And I absolutely love working with these hustlers. <laughs> nice. Mm. I love it. And if we zoom out into the future, what would you say is the five-year vision for Seafair? So our five-year vision is to essentially become the market leader in the maritime crewing market. Uh, we want our software to be present in most of the vessels out there, commercial vessels, and people to be using some type of our technology or services to recruit or manage their seafarers. Number one point, the one KPI we want to nail is our software being used for some part of the recruitment process of all the seafarers out there. Amazing. I love it. Unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time to cover for today. Before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey, where's the best place for them to go? Probably they could go to seafarer.io and they could also visit our page on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to connect with them. All right. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it and really love what you're building. This is super exciting. So let's keep in touch. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Cheers.